Welcome to the Improve the News podcast for Thursday, October 13th, 2022, where we separate the spin from the facts. I'm Melissa Topsher. And I'm Adam Clark, and here are today's headlines. Russia detains eight for Crimean Bridge Blast, while another pipeline starts leaking. NATO plans nuclear exercises. The Supreme Court hears a challenge to California's animal cruelty law. Biden's approval rating remains low ahead of the midterms. Putin meets with Brazil's Bolsonaro. Meta debuts a new VR headset. Russia labels Meta a terrorist organization. TikTok reportedly profits from exploitive kid live streams. U.S. mortgage rates rise to their highest level in 14 years. And Biden vows consequences for Saudi Arabia over oil cuts. And in our first story today, we begin with the Ukraine roundup, and it is day 231. Russia detains eight people in connection with Crimean bridge blast. Another oil pipeline leak reported. And here are the facts as agreed upon by TASS, Yahoo Finance, Associated Press, and Pravda. Russia's intelligence and security service, the FSB, says it has detained eight people in connection with the blast that collapsed parts of the Crimean Bridge on October 8th. The agency said five Russian nationals were arrested, in addition to two Ukrainians and an Armenian. The service also alleged the attack was masterminded by the main intelligence directorate of the Ukrainian Defense Ministry. The FSB noted that explosives were disguised in polyethylene wraps and loaded onto a truck in 22 pallets collectively weighing over 22 tons. It claimed the truck was shipped to Bulgaria from the port of Odessa in Ukraine, passing through Armenia, Georgia, and across the border to Russia before making its way to the Crimean Bridge. A Ukrainian Interior Ministry spokesman dismissed the investigation as nonsense. Meanwhile, another leak in the pipeline carrying Russian gas to Germany was reported on Wednesday. Poland's top official in charge of energy infrastructure, Mateusz Berger, has alleged there is no reason to believe that sabotage played a role in the Druzba pipeline leak, which was reported in Polish territory. At the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant, head of the International Atomic Energy Agency Rafael Grossi said external power supplies had been cut and that the building had been forced to rely on backup diesel generators for the second time in five days. He called it a deeply worrying development. A Russian-appointed official in Zaporizhia later said power was restored within the hour. Elsewhere, Alexei Reznikov, Ukraine's minister for defense, announced that the country had received four additional high-mobility advanced rocket systems, or HIMARS, from the U.S., in addition to the first of four Iris-T missile defense systems from Germany. Reznikov further confirmed the U.S. would be delivering national advanced surface-to-air missile systems to Ukraine. On the ground, as Ukrainian forces claim to have consolidated gains in five settlements of the southern Kherson region, renewed Russian attacks were reported in Sumy, Zaporizhia, Lviv, Vinitsia, Mykolaiv, and Dnipropetrovsk, where three civilians were reported injured. At least seven civilians were reported killed and eight more injured in a Russian strike on the city of Adivka in Donetsk. Thank you, Adam, for delivering the facts on that story. On this show, we separate the facts from the narrative spins, and we have a couple of those coming up. Our first is an anti-Russia narrative coming from PBS NewsHour. 
This evasion is an egregious violation of international law. Putin's ultimate aim is to restore the Soviet empire even if it takes massive bloodshed and false pretexts, such as calling the 2014 Ukrainian revolution after an election a coup. This unprovoked attack is the latest chapter in Putin's Orwellian attempt to rewrite history. And the opposing story is going to be the pro-Russia narrative, and it's provided by the National Security Archive. NATO and the U.S. have ignored Russia's security concerns by breaking its promise not to expand eastward in return for German reunification. These concerns are legitimate, and taking them seriously would have avoided the Ukraine tragedy. And we have a statistics-based nerd narrative from the Metaculous community. It says there's a 50% chance that Ukraine will regain control of Kherson by December 23, 2023. That'd be a nice Christmas for the Ukrainians. That's right. Christmas Eve Eve. Here's your city. In our next story, according to the NATO chief, long-planned nuclear exercises will go ahead. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Voices of America, Al Jazeera, the Associated Press, Washington Post, and Euronews. Despite rising tensions over the war in Ukraine, NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg announced on Tuesday that the alliance would push ahead with long-planned nuclear exercises next week. Stoltenberg said it would send the wrong signal to Moscow to cancel the annual nuclear deterrent exercises, adding... NATO's firm, predictable behavior, our military strength, is the best way to prevent escalation. The exercises, dubbed, quote, Steadfast Noon, typically run for about a week, and this year's operation was reportedly planned before the Ukraine war began in February. The decision to proceed with the drills comes despite warnings from Russian President Putin that he would use nuclear weapons to defend his territory. The drills will involve 14 of NATO's 30 member countries, and most will be held more than 625 miles away from Russia. They'll include fighter jets capable of carrying nuclear warheads, but won't use live bombs. NATO doesn't possess nuclear weapons. All weapons linked to the alliance remain under the control of three member states, the U.S., the U.K., and France. NATO's secretive nuclear planning group is scheduled to meet Thursday at the defense minister's meeting. Ahead of Thursday's meeting, the U.S. permanent representative to the military alliance, Julianne Smith, said America wouldn't accept any nuclear threats from Russia and there would be unprecedented consequences if used. Melissa, thank you for the facts on that story. The foreign policy is providing us with our pro-establishment narrative spin. Putin is failing in Ukraine and it's NATO's responsibility to remain unified and flex its muscles, whether by holding nuclear exercises ramping up economic sanctions, or increasing its defense of the Baltic Sea. Russia's invasion of Ukraine was a brazen violation of international laws, and Kyiv deserves whatever protection NATO can provide. And there's an establishment critical narrative provided by the World Socialist website. By encouraging Ukraine to go on the offensive, NATO and the U.S. are escalating the war. Going through with these nuclear exercises only takes that escalation one step further. If the West really wants this war to end, it should be working toward a ceasefire or negotiated settlement. Its deliberate decision not to take this route, however, suggests its true aims are to weaken Russia and hurt its geostrategic interests, not save Ukraine. And the Metaculous Prediction community is providing us with a nerd narrative on this story. There's a 20% chance of a World War III before 2050. The NATO's secretive nuclear planning group 
They're meeting on Thursday, huh? You think they're going to be changing that now that we've announced it was on meeting on Thursday? Do you think it ever was really going to meet on Thursday, Adam? Ooh, they're so secretive. Yeah, I think that was a, a blue herring. <laughs> <laughs> Can't even call the herring by the correct color that it is. They're so secretive. <laughs> And in our next story, the Supreme Court is hearing a challenge to the pork industry law in California. And here are the facts as agreed upon by Business Insider, NBC, Town Hall, and USA Today. On Tuesday, the Supreme Court heard arguments in National Pork Producers Council versus Ross, a case where pork producers are challenging a California law that requires pork sellers to raise pigs in pens where they can roam freely. California voters approved the law in 2018 with nearly 63% of the vote, a margin of more than 3 million votes, and it was due to take effect this year. Voters were told the law would most likely increase the price of pork while providing more humane living conditions for pigs. Pork producers say complying with the law will cost the industry between $290 to $350 million dollars, costs they would have to pass on to consumers in California and nationwide. Although Californians account for 13% of the nation's pork consumption, the state has few pig farms. Senator Chuck Grassley, the Republican from Iowa, has described the law as a war on breakfast. Thank you, Adam, for that interesting story. We've got several narratives forming. The left narrative comes out of the Los Angeles Times. Inhumane animal confinement for pigs and other livestock is immoral, and it threatens the health and safety of consumers by compromising the immune systems of the animals we're eating. The pork industry's suit challenges the power of the people, Californians who voted the law into effect, in addition to taking animal rights backward. Melissa, if we've got a left narrative, of course, we're going to have a right narrative, and it's provided by the Wall Street Journal. California lawmakers often presume they know what's best for everyone. However, this law disproportionately and unfairly affects the rest of America. With more than 99% of the pork consumed in California coming from out of state, farmers in 49 other states shouldn't have to bear the brunt of the financial burden of this law. And there's a nerd narrative saying there's a 55% chance that the Supreme Court will overturn California's Proposition 12 in National Pork Producers Council versus Ross, by the end of 2023. That's according to the Metaculous Prediction Community. You think the lawyers for the pork industry actually have a suit made of pigskin? <laughs> That's a different kind of suit. <laughs> the, it's a pork it's industry suit. It's a pork suit. industry suit. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully there's at least pictures of bacon on it. Oh, I'd love to see that pork industry suit. It'd be like Lady Gaga's meat dress. Oh, yeah, yeah. Or, or bring it way back to Bjork's uh, swan dress. Ooh, but that was that real swans. Hopefully not. <laughs> I don't think so. And in the U.S. midterms, Biden's approval rating remains low. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Reuters, NewsBud, NPR Online News, and U.S. News. As midterm elections loom just weeks away on Tuesday, a Reuters Ipsos opinion poll showed that President Biden's approval rating stayed close to the lowest level of his presidency this week at 40 percent, unchanged from last week. Biden's sagging approval ratings, which drifted as low as 36 percent in May and June, are projected to weigh on the Democratic Party's chances in November. Biden's term has been marked by the economic scars of the COVID pandemic, including soaring inflation. 
The poll demonstrated that a third of the potential U.S. voters, including one out of five Democrats and two out of five GOP voters, viewed the economy as the most pressing issue. The poll also showed a much smaller share of respondents suggesting that other issues are more urgent. One out of 10 Democrats expressed concern that the U.S.'s most significant issue was abortion. The same share of Republicans pointed to crime as a top issue. The Reuters-Ipsos poll was conducted online in English throughout the U.S. and gathered responses from 1,004 adults, including 495 Democrats and 321 Republicans. The poll's credibility interval, a measure of precision, is four percentage points. This comes as Biden is reevaluating relations with Saudi Arabia amidst recent OPEC plus oil production cuts. Higher gas prices could also impact the Democrats' chances in the final weeks until the November elections. Thank you, Melissa, for the facts on that political story. And of course, we're going to have a Democratic narrative, and that spin is provided by U.S. News. While the president has seen his approval ratings plummet, the outlook for other Democrats isn't nearly as bad and has been looking up ahead of the midterms. The Supreme Court's overturning of Roe v. Wade and extremist Trump-like candidates running for the GOP have given Democratic voters a reason to get out and vote. The Republican narrative is provided by The Hill. Democrats are running against history, as the party in power almost always loses ground in Congress in midterm elections. With Biden's approval ratings remaining low, if the Republicans focus on rampant inflation, crime, and the economy, the GOP can certainly win the House and possibly the Senate, too. And the nerds of Metaculus have their opinion, saying there's a 41% chance that the Republican Party will control both the House and the Senate after the 2022 midterm elections. Looking at political polls seems like an impossible task to me, to try and predict which way this, is, this and that is going to go. When these margins of errors are so delicate, uh, it just seems like... Trying to predict the future. And it, it, it seems like it could, be, it could be so biased depending on who, who you poll. Right, and how you phrase. Exactly. There are so many variables and aspects involved. You really have to take them with a grain of salt. Yeah, we shall see. All I can say is get out and vote. Get out and vote. Make your own nerd narrative. Russian President Putin meets with Brazil's President Bolsonaro. And here are the facts, as agreed upon by Washington Post. Daily Mail and independent. Russian President Vladimir Putin met with Brazilian leader Jair Bolsonaro for in-person talks in Moscow this week. The summit was staged as Russian soldiers remained positioned at the Ukraine border, and as the leaders of Western nations and Brazilians alike urged Bolsonaro to cancel. The intimate meeting, which saw the two leaders sitting knee-to-knee, -knee, was in stark contrast to recent talks with French President Emmanuel Macron and German Chancellor Olaf Scholz, who each sat at the opposite end of a long table from Putin. The two leaders failed to mention the tensions with Ukraine, focusing instead on promises of friendship and mutual understanding. Thank you for those facts, and now for the narratives. Our anti-Russia narrative is provided by the Washington Post. This is precisely the kind of personalistic politics that authoritarian leaders relish. Bolsonaro embraced Trump for the same reasons. Now that the world's democracies have closed ranks against Putin, he's reached out and found a pliable ally in Bolsonaro, who in turn is looking to legitimize himself on the world stage. Thank you, Melissa. And the pro-Russia narrative is provided by Rio Times Online. 
Bolsonaro's visit to Europe will allow the Brazilian leader to interface with strong leaders who share similar values, including Putin, Hungarian Prime Minister Viktor Orban, and Polish President Andrzej Duda. These are values shared by the former U.S. President Trump as well, and which are repudiated by radical leftists combined with big tech and international media conglomerates. So this was just a bro get-together. It was a little bro-hang, I think, yeah. My friend, let's not talk about war. Like, if you're coming, please, no talk about war with Ukraine. Okay, bro? Jer, I got a new IPA we're going to try out. It's very good. We'll play darts. Meta debuts the Quest Pro VR. Here are the facts as agreed upon by the Daily Mail, the New York Post, CNBC, Verge, and TechCrunch. On Tuesday, Meta CEO Mark Zuckerberg unveiled his company's new $1,500 Oculus Quest Pro virtual reality headset during the live-streamed Connect 2022 conference. Unlike its Quest 2 predecessor, the Quest Pro headset, available starting October 25th, has outward-facing cameras that capture a 3D live stream of the surrounding physical world, creating a mixed reality for the wearer. The announcement comes as Meta's stock, down 60% so far in 2022, continues to suffer amid ongoing competition from TikTok in the advertising market and recent privacy updates from Apple that restricts Meta's ability to target iPhone users. Since announcing his plans for the metaverse and changing the company name from Facebook to Meta last year, Zuckerberg has poured billions of dollars into the project. However, Reality Labs, the VR division of Meta, lost $10.2 billion in 2021 and almost $6 billion in 2022. Though Quest VR sales are growing, with estimates of more than 15 million headsets sold, VR is so far a losing business for Meta. The company's social media businesses, too, are under increased pressure, causing Zuckerberg to issue a hiring freeze for the remainder of the year. Despite the losses, Meta has continued its shift toward VR with Zuckerberg and Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella at the conference talking about bringing Microsoft Teams and Windows into Quest Pro and vice versa. Melissa, thank you for the facts on that story. The Washington Post has provided an establishment critical narrative related to this story. Just because Zuckerberg changed Facebook's name to Meta and poured billions of dollars into his VR dreams doesn't mean it's necessarily a good thing. Besides the obvious issues of the new Quest VR being an overpriced and unimpressive gadget, the bigger concern is one of privacy. Is drawing on a mediocre virtual whiteboard really worth allowing Meta to collect data on the most minute details of your face? And the pro-establishment narrative comes from digital trends. With the business world already shifting to at least a partial work-from-home model, we should embrace the possibilities created by Meta's Quest VR in the workplace. With graphics and eye-scanning technology quickly improving, we'll soon be able to transport ourselves into a personable, realistic office setting with our peers without the hassle of a commute. This is an exciting device. And there's a nerd narrative on this story. There's a 23% chance that Meta will report 1 billion active users by the end of 2031. And that's according to the Metaculous Prediction community. Melissa, have you have you worn one of these headsets? I have not. Have you? No, no, I haven't. In fact, I think by the time this really starts to catch on, I'm going to be the old guy, you know, sitting on the porch going, Hey, get off my virtual lawn! <laughs> 
And Melissa, in a related story, Russia has labeled Meta as an extremist and terrorist organization. And here are the facts as agreed upon by Al Jazeera, Moscow Times, Business Insider, BBC News, and Associated Press. Russia's financial monitoring agency, Rothson Monitoring, has reportedly added Instagram and Facebook's parent company, Meta Platforms, Inc., to its terrorist and extremist list. This comes after Moscow banned Facebook and Instagram in March for alleged extremist activities, following accusations by Russian authorities that the company tolerated Russiaphobia amid the Ukraine war. Moscow also accused Facebook of restricting users' access to government-backed news outlets such as Sputnik and Russia Today. The latest decision means that all services provided by Meta will be fully unavailable in Russia. In March, Meta announced that it would temporarily allow people affected by the war in Ukraine to express violent sentiments towards invading armed forces, though not towards civilians. The company denied accusations that it was promoting anti-Russia sentiment, and a Moscow court rejected Meta's appeal of the ban in June. Despite the designation, Russian Senator Andrea Klisas said on Tuesday that users of Meta products wouldn't be prosecuted. However, Russian citizens and companies that buy ads on Facebook or Instagram could face up to 10 years in prison for sponsoring extremism. In late September, Meta claimed to have taken down the largest and most complex Russian propaganda operation on its platforms since the start of the Ukraine war, before it could reach a large audience. Wow, that is a fascinating story, Adam. Thank you for those facts. We've got a number of spins on the topic. The Global Times brings us a pro-Russia narrative. Not only has Meta routinely censored narratives that oppose the West's stance, but the social media platform, which has been a loud advocate against hate speech, has also dangerously promoted Russiaphobia. Meta has become a servant to the White House, and there's no room for its double standards in Russia. And the anti-Russia narrative for the story is provided by the Council on Foreign Relations. As Putin continues the war in Ukraine, free speech and the press environment in Russia have been almost entirely repressed. In an ironic, albeit unsurprising, turn of events, Moscow has now banned Meta after accusing the company of launching its own censorship agenda. By monitoring and suppressing social media, Russia will only continue its harsh crackdown of bringing media fully under state control. And here's the cynical narrative from Time. Russia and the West are both pushing for unprecedented censorship in an attempt to win the ideas war. This is a dangerous violation of freedom of expression, a fundamental right of not only the speaker, but also the audience. As history has shown time and again, nothing good comes of restricting speech, which only harms the society it purports to protect. And the Metaculous Prediction community are going to leave us with a nerd narrative on this story. There's a 6% chance that YouTube will be blocked in Russia in 2022. How will people watch their cat videos? In our next story, TikTok is profiting from exploitive live streams. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Business Insider, BBC News, Fortune, and Breitbart. A BBC investigation released Tuesday alleges that the social media platform TikTok has been profiting from live streams in which Syrian refugees urgently beg for cash gifts from viewers. 
The children reportedly stream for hours, pleading for digital gifts with cash value, sometimes making up to $1,000 per hour. The investigation found that TikTok is allegedly taking up to 70% of the proceeds. The families in need reportedly received a fifth of the original donation after TikTok live-streaming guilds known as agencies and middlemen all took respective portions of the total. To test TikTok's gifting system, a BBC journalist broadcast live from his Syria-based TikTok account and the BBC donated $106, of which the journalist received $33.03. If middlemen and agency fees were included, the journalists would have only received $19. The middlemen who supply the families with phones and accounts to live stream claim to be from agencies affiliated with TikTok in China and the Middle East. They're reportedly tasked with recruiting more content creators and encouraging people to spend more time on the platform. TikTok denied its commission is 70% and claims these schemes violate its platform rules, which state you must have over 1,000 followers to live stream and can't directly solicit money to, quote, prevent the harm, endangerment, or exploitation of minors. Melissa, thank you for the facts on that definitely disturbing story. We've got a pro-establishment narrative, and it's provided by Input Magazine. Solicitation live streams like these are against TikTok's rules for good reason. Many of them, whether they're real or not, are exploiting children who don't benefit from these videos. Users should be cautious. There are exploitive grifters online no matter how hard social media platforms work to curb them. And the establishment critical narrative comes from Newsbud. Though TikTok claims to be cracking down on these live streams and saying they're against the company's terms and conditions, many videos are shamefully still online. If TikTok was truly against these exploitive stunts, it would have simply shut them down earlier rather than take a cut for itself. And in U.S. housing news, mortgage rates have risen to their highest level since 2006. And here are the facts as agreed upon by Reuters, Mortgage News Daily, CNBC, and MarketWatch. U.S. mortgage interest rates have, on average, increased to their highest level in 16 years, according to data by the Mortgage Bankers Association, or MBA, released on Wednesday, with rates more than doubling since January 2022 as the Federal Reserve increases interest rates amid rising inflation. 30-year mortgage rates are now up 7% from around 3% 10 months ago, according to Mortgage News Daily. Mortgage applications to purchase homes have dropped 39% since last year, with a 2% drop occurring in the week ending October 7th. According to federal mortgage financier Fannie Mae's September survey, only 19% of people say it's a good time to buy a home. 75% say it's a bad time to buy a home, and 60% say it's a good time to sell. The higher overall rates have crushed demand for refinancing, too. Refinancing applications are down 2% on the week and 86% on the year, leaving barely 150,000 people able to benefit from a refinance due to their current rates being lower than what could be offered. All right, thanks for the facts on that story, Adam. Narrative A is from MSN. Increasing rates is a painful but necessary measure to cool the housing market and ensure that prices align with rents and other market fundamentals. There was a significant imbalance between supply and demand, and housing prices were going up unsustainably fast. 
which is why the Fed has been right to step in until they're brought down to normal. And Narrative B is provided by MarketWatch. Contrary to the hopes of the Fed, high mortgage rates may become the new normal that home buyers and homeowners will have to adapt to and accept over time. It's unlikely that a housing recession will destabilize the economy, as it did in 2008, but people will have to pay more out of their income. And in our last story today, Biden vows consequences for Saudi Arabia over oil cuts. Here are the facts as agreed upon by CNN, The Guardian, The New York Times, The Saudi Gazette, and The Wall Street Journal. President Biden on Tuesday warned of consequences for U.S.-Saudi relations after OPEC Plus announced last week that it would cut its oil production target by up to 2 million barrels per day, despite Washington's objections. While his options and timetable haven't been detailed, the White House stated that the president is willing to work with Congress to reassess the U.S. relationship with Saudi Arabia. A day earlier, some Democrats in Congress urged any cooperation with the kingdom to be suspended. In response, Saudi Arabia's foreign minister, Prince Faisal bin Farhan, praised ties with the U.S. and claimed that the decision to cut oil production was purely economic and taken unanimously by the group member states. These developments come as U.S. officials have criticized the OPEC Plus decision, arguing that the move gives leverage to Russia against the West and threatens global economic growth by fueling inflation. Riyadh stressed, however, that the decision wasn't aimed at driving up prices, but stabilizing the oil market amid central bank interest rate hikes and a potential global recession. U.S. officials had reportedly urged Riyadh and other major Gulf oil producers to delay any decision to cut oil production until November, which is seen by some as a political move by the Biden administration ahead of the U.S. midterm elections. Shortly after Biden visited Saudi Arabia in July, OPEC Plus increased its oil output, and the Biden administration approved a multi-billion dollar weapons sales package to the kingdom. Melissa, thank you for laying out the facts on that last story. Here's our last round of narrative spins, beginning with the establishment critical narrative provided by Consortium News. The OPEC Plus announcement is not only a slap in Biden's face, but underscores the tectonic geopolitical shifts in West Asia and Russia's growing influence. Instead of reflecting on its own failures, Washington is once again resorting to threats, which will only spur the continued evolution of a multipolar world order. And the Washington Post provides a pro-establishment narrative. The OPEC Plus decision possesses numerous risks for the free world. Washington must not give in to the pressure and should continue its plan for a price cap on Russian oil. The Biden administration should avoid any short-sighted response in the run-up to the midterm elections. As with the 1973 oil embargo, this production cut could ultimately prove to be a dangerous boon for the oil cartel. And the nerds at the Metaculous Prediction community are leaving us with a narrative today. There's a 50% chance that the price of oil will be at least $91.8 per barrel by December 2022. I have no idea how to relate that price per anything else. Just be glad you don't have to buy your gas by the barrel. That'd be a weird dinger, like <laughs> one barrel, two barrel, ding, ding, up. ding. And then you'd have to refine it yourself. Oh, it'd be a mess. I'd have to have fights with my neighbors and I'd have to light his oil on fire whenever he's done something wrong. Sounds dangerous. 
Isn't that the way that works? Light your neighbor's oil on fire. Oh, yeah. Isn't there a song? Light your neighbor's oil on fire. Yeah, I think it's a nursery rhyme. Light your neighbor's oil on fire. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Improve the News podcast for Thursday, October 13th, 2022. Each day we use machine learning to read about 5,000 articles from about 100 newspapers and figure out which ones are about the same stories. For each major story, our editorial team then extracts both the key facts that the articles agree on and the key narratives where the articles differ. For more information on Improve the News, please visit our website, improvethenews.org. You can also download the Improve the News app on the Apple App Store or Google Play. For Adam Clark, I'm Melissa Topshire, inviting you to join us next time on Improve the News.